Well, good morning, everyone. And just a few minutes ago, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out its April Jobs Unemployment and Wages report, and there's a lot of news in it. Uh, my name's Seth Harris. I'm a senior fellow at the Burns Center uh, for Social Change at Northeastern University. Uh, and we're going to talk about that report, jobs, unemployment, wages, uh, and uh, well, there's a lot to talk about. So joining me in analyzing these data are a couple of really top, top labor economists and experts in these particular numbers. Uh, they're also expert at helping to explain these numbers in ordinary language to people like me who are not economists. Uh, first and most recently seen with the mayor of Boston as she was launching the Summer Jobs Initiative uh, and uh, a very important voice on that issue and a lot of other uh, workforce development issues, the professor of economics in the School of Policy and Urban Affairs and the research director of the Dukakis Center here at Northeastern University, Alicia Modestino. Good morning, Alicia. Morning, Seth. It's good to be here. And a senior economist at the Economic Policy Institute whose screen is filled with open tabs about wages because she's going to try and explain what happened with wages this month to us. Uh, and a lot of great work at the Economic Policy Institute. Elise Gould. Hi, Elise. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So let's get right to it. Uh, here are the headline numbers out of BLS's April Employment Situation Report. The unemployment rate went down to 3.4%. Last month, it was 3.5%. Now, the unemployment rate has been between 3.4 and 3.7% for, for more than a year. So this is a little on the low end, but nothing out of the range that we've been seeing for some time now. The really surprising number is that the economy created 253,000 jobs in April. That is, and this is gonna be a little confusing, but that's actually an increase over the in, uh, job creation in March and the job creation uh, in February. That's because the Bureau of Labor Statistics revised the numbers from March and February down very substantially. It's a re larger revision than we usually see. So there were 149,000 fewer jobs in February and March than we thought there were. And as a consequence of that, this month looks like a larger increase. It's actually right about in the same range as those revised numbers from the previous two months. Um, it's still below the average job creation that we saw last year, which is about 401,000. Uh, the, the average this year is around 250,000 so far. Uh, slower rate, but still uh, this month surprisingly robust. This is the big number. Average hourly earnings increased by 16 cents or 0.5% from March to April, that is significantly faster than we have seen really over the last six months. Last uh, month, it was a point, it was nine cents and 0.3%. Over the course of the year, workers not inflation adjusted wages, sometimes called by economists nominal wages, have gone up 4.4%. Now, depending upon which inflation measure you use, workers are sort of keeping up with inflation. Their wages are keeping up with inflation. One measure has inflation at 4.2%. Another one has it at around 5%. But workers, as a general matter, with their wage increases, are keeping up. They're not getting ahead, but it looks like they are keeping up. So those are the headline numbers. Let's turn to our experts to help us make sense of them. 
Uh, Alicia, our big, big question, are these numbers good for workers, bad for workers, or are they a mixed bag? Well, I think I think it's hard to say it's bad for workers. I mean, I think we were paging through the entire report and uh, looking for any signs of trouble. And at least for these headline numbers, it's hard to find that, right? So uh, job growth remains strong, even if we think about a potential revision again next month. Um, you know, a revision down uh, would still be, you know, job growth growing in the right direction. Um, the wage number is uh, incredible. I think that's really the most eye-popping uh, statistic of the day. And, um, you know, even if there might be some slowing over the year, we know that, for example, ADP showed those who are switching jobs, um, you know, now in April compared to March are not getting as much of a bump from when they switch jobs, but even still they're getting a bump, right? And workers are still getting ahead. They're still lagging behind inflation, but that's um, it's still pretty uh, strong wage growth. I think the one thing that has been giving everyone pause is looking at um, the jolts numbers that, you know, came out and looking at, uh, you know, that's the other, down. just to help, just to help everybody. That's the other Bureau of Labor Statistics report, the job openings and labor turnover survey. They have data back from March and that came out earlier this week. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. So when we look at, again, like people switching jobs and what's happening, when when workers feel confident, they quit their jobs and they move on to another one. But we're seeing that those quits, again, have slowed down. We're seeing fewer job openings. It's still a robust labor market out there, but, you know, signs are showing just this deceleration, um, but but still not a bad picture at all um, for workers who are uh, seeking work. And, and again, if you're thinking about college graduates, high school graduates um, who are coming into this labor market, they're graduating into a, a pretty strong labor market and having a good start to their careers, uh, maybe even you know just as strong uh, as last year and certainly uh, much stronger than um, you know coming out of the pandemic. So, so that's good news for those workers as well. Great, thanks Alicia. And Elise, what do you think? Is it good for workers, bad for workers, or is it a mixed bag? I think it's mostly good for workers and taking off of um, what Alicia was just saying about young workers. I think that's a great population we think about right now. Um, many are graduating from college or, or high school this month and next month. And we actually see that young workers saw a huge decline in unemployment um, between March and April. That is now down to 6.5%. That's the lowest since 1953. So absolutely, the labor market is wow. stronger for young people um, this year, better than last year, and better than before the pandemic. So those job opportunities are there, and I think that's you know definitely a key number to watch um, in graduation season. Also, Black unemployment is now at the lowest on record. So uh, BLS has been collecting Black unemployment since um, 1972, and it is now the lowest. Unfortunately, it appears that that is in part due to falling labor force participation among black workers, but I still mm. think it is a key metric. And we also know that there is a lot of volatility there um, month to month in that data uh, because of sample sizes. But I think it's still a pretty optimistic picture if that continues um, and hopefully people will come back in. Overall, when we look at what's happening with people entering the labor force, um, you know that's been pretty flat uh, over the last month. So um, the employment to population ratio, the share of 
um, workers that with a job that has been um, pretty steady over the last month and the labor force participation rate has been pretty steady. Uh, so I, I hope that people will continue to come back in. Obviously, again, there's some volatility month to month. And when I mentioned volatility, I think that the wage growth, I think it, yes, it was strong, um, but by some other measures, you know, over the month, it was strong. I think by some other measures, it is still not accelerating. Um, I think that we have been on a downward trend, and I think it remains to be seen in coming months. So I don't have a great explanation for what's happening right there, but I think that um, it's it's certainly something to watch. Uh, it is, I think, generally has been decelerating much of this much of this year. So um, I expect that to continue. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to agree uh, enthusiastically with both of you that is good for workers. You know, wages are up substantially. Jobs are up meaningfully. We don't see any uh, contraction in any particular industry. We're not seeing a lot of job loss. We have some industries where there's there's flat job situation. We don't see growth or decline. Um, we're seeing workers uh, who want to work full-time, working full-time when, when they had part-time jobs. Um, and so in absolute terms, you know, it's a very, very good month for workers. Uh, but it's also good, maybe even a little bit better, given the story that I felt was developing. And maybe this is just in my mind, maybe others weren't seeing it this way, but there were some there were some gray clouds forming in the distance. So layoffs were increasing, both the JOLTS data that Alicia referred to and the weekly unemployment claims numbers from the Labor Department were showing an increase, suggesting an increase uh, in layoffs. We were seeing a decrease in the number of job openings in the economy. That is down very uh, substantially. That quits number that Alicia was talking about was down slightly uh, in the latest report. Um, so I expected this number maybe to be a little bit disappointing and maybe signaling that we were heading in a problematic direction. I'm not going to use the R word uh, because I don't like it and I don't think that's anywhere near where we are. But I was worried that we were looking for some looking at some much flatter growth uh, for workers, for jobs. And, and that's not what ended up happening. And, you know, at some point, you've, you, we, I have to stop being surprised that I'm being surprised. I mean, uh, so far, uh, the economic punditry has predicted five times as many recessions. Actually, I would say you can't use a multiple here because we've had zero recessions, but they keep predicting that we're going into a recession. Um, and uh, and that's not seemingly where we're headed, at least not now. Now, you don't want to be overconfident. One month's data doesn't tell the whole story. But if you put all of 2023 together so far, it's only four months, what we're seeing is moderated job growth compared with last year. And given where we are in the recovery, that's what you would expect. Decelerating but moderate but continuing wage growth. Again, given where we are in the recovery, that's what you would expect. And we're seeing remarkable numbers like low Black unemployment rates, people getting back into the labor market. We're not seeing people fleeing the labor market because they're afraid that their jobs are going to disappear. All in all, I, I feel like that's a really good report. Now, I, I maybe I'm just looking at the world with rose-colored glasses and there's something horrible coming, but... 
I, we have to stop living on the on the and with the feeling that there's something bad coming in and that it never arrives. It's the this is the we should call this the Godot recession. It's the one that never arrives. Or maybe I'm Rosencrantz or Guildenstern. I don't really know. Um, okay, uh, our next question is the one that we always ask. Uh, that's because the headline numbers don't tell the whole story. You have to go deeper. And one of the great things about having Elise and Alicia on is that they look very deeply into this report and they come at it from very different perspectives. They emphasize different things. And I emphasize yet a third set of things. So uh, we asked them to identify the one or two or three statistics of the day. So Elise, what is your stat or stats of the day? So I think when I'm looking at the household numbers in particular, I think that um, looking at young adults, I already mentioned, I think that that, um, that drop in unemployment is great. I think also black unemployment, that's definitely something to watch. Uh, prime age employment. So that is the employment to population ratio of workers between 25 and 54 years old. So we call that the EPOP uh, or the employment rate that rose slightly um, as did their labor force participation. So I think that's, again, a positive sign that those workers that we think are make up the bulk of the labor force, those are those workers continue to return to the labor force and are getting jobs. So can I think I that's you, hopeful. Can I just ask you a question about, so prime age 25-year-olds to 54-year-olds, uh, and it's the, sort of the percentage uh, that, that are looking for work and working or the percentage who are working. That's what EPOP is. So I wanted to ask you, where, do you know where that, how that compares, those numbers compare to where we were before the pandemic? Uh, my understanding is we had recovered. Are we now above the pre-pandemic level? Can you, do you have that in front of you? I do have that in front of me. Uh, back, the, the high point right before the pandemic was 80.6%. That was in January of 2020. In February, it was 80.5. So it's it's lingering around there. Now we're at 80.8. So it is solidly now above where we were mm. pre-pandemic. So we have recovered and a little bit more. So that I think is a key number that I would highlight today. So there goes, let's, let's, let's cancel the grit, all those great resignation stories that everybody was uh, writing, right? That's just, we can delete those from our, our, our memories, I think. Yes. And I think that there was a lot of reshuffling that was happening. And it, you brought up the job openings and labor turnover survey. We learned those results. Again, that wasn't for April. The data we had was for March. And so it has a bit more of a lag, but um, I was less concerned about job openings coming down. I think some of that was that additional churn. So people trying to fill openings as quits were higher, and hires were higher. The key metric there where we saw the cooling was the rising layoffs, but hiring held steady. So I think it remains to be seen what, what it, that impact is gonna have. But I think that less, lesser amount of churn, I would have expected that to translate into more deceleration in wage growth. And I expect that to come, that to continue to come down in coming months. Good. All right, Alicia, what is your statistic or statistics of the day? Yeah, well, I um, always keep an eye on the female labor force participation rate, um, especially as we're closing in on Mother's Day here. I like to keep an eye on what's going on with moms. And that's actually uh, held pretty steady over the past year. Um, the female labor force participation rate for women 20 years and older, 58.6% um, uh, last April, 58.6% this April. So it's pretty steady. At the same time, more women have come back um, into the labor market. 
Um, and also um, the, uh, the unemployment rate has gone down at the same time as well. So that's, that's been all good news for, for women. I looked at um, the BLS has a report on families, the economic uh, situation of families that just came out um, earlier, uh, a few weeks ago in April, and specifically looked at the labor force participation rate for moms and moms with young children. And that has also um, been increasing over the past year and coming out of the pandemic, which is all good news. The, the one thing that I do start to worry about is there are a lot of news stories about um, the return to work and return to office accelerating again, right? So there was an initial, um, everybody please come back to the office, uh, got delayed a few times, um, but uh, a very soft return, right, is what initially happened, come in one day, come in two day. Now you're really seeing more companies saying, no, we really want you in three days a week, or there's some places, right, like J.P. Morgan Chase or Goldman Sachs, where it's five days. It's, you know, back, back to the good old days of everybody being around the water cooler uh, in person and not virtually. And that I do worry a little bit. Um, you know, might tamper some of the, the gains that we've had for women, especially because we have done nothing to fix the childcare issue in this country, right? So childcare is still in short supply, um, difficult to get, difficult to arrange, uncertain. Um, people are still cobbling together, you know, their plans for covering their children, uh, whether or not they're school-aged or even younger. And so, you know, losing that flexibility, again, like what's underneath these numbers? Great, you know, people are in the labor force, they have a job, they're getting paid better, but are they able to actually square that with the other responsibilities that they have at home? Are they able to meet the needs um, of their families? And I think we're starting to see some erosion of that worker power in terms of the kinds of conditions that uh, people are working in. And I think work from home and that workplace flexibility seems to be one of the first things that are getting retrenched. And I do worry that um, that will, you know, hinder some of those gains that maybe women uh, with children in particular have made as they've come out of the pandemic. Yeah. So I, I, I think the care issue is, uh, or the lack of the availability of care is a, is a tremendous issue. It is a labor supply issue, meaning uh, a lot of women uh, have great difficulty going back to work or working full time uh, because women still bear the overwhelming majority of the care responsibilities in our society, both for children and for elders. But I have to say also, you mentioned Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase. My guess is that it's perhaps an issue for those workers, but it's a much, much bigger issue for lower income workers. Uh, in fact, we, uh, uh, our producer Lexi and I had a conversation with um, a program uh, in Boston um, that is trying to help uh, low-wage women uh, or women who are out of the labor market get into apprenticeship programs, and childcare is by far the biggest issue. It's not the only issue. There's a lot of other issues that need to be addressed. Um, but for, for low-wage women, working-class women who have, don't have a lot of flexibility, have never had flexibility, many of them essential workers who had to show up to work all through the pandemic, the unavailability of affordable childcare, safe childcare, or any childcare is a huge barrier to them getting into the labor market, earning what they need to earn, working the hours that they need to work in order to support their families. So I think that's an extremely, uh, extremely good call out of the statistic of the day. Let, I'll give you my my two statistics of the day, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a broken record on these, but I think there was something interesting that happened this month. 
Uh, and they're, they, they sort of, uh, uh, they go together, I think, uh, because they're very much about uh, the availability of workers to take the jobs that employers say incessantly that they can't ever fill. And that is workers who work part-time involuntarily. And that number went down substantially. It went down by 200,000 about uh, this, this month. And then there's the group of workers who are out of the labor market, meaning they're not actively searching for a job, but they would like to have a job. Uh, that number went up substantially. Uh, it went from uh, 4.9 million last month, uh, the preceding month, March, to 5.3 million um, in April. Now, so what story do those two statistics tell us? One is that employers are demanding more work from their part-time workers, which is an extremely good thing. Those are the workers who want the work, they are available, they have the skills, they're in the workplace, that's terrific. And those workers are better off and employers are able to get them with very, very low search costs. They're right there. So they're easy to employ. And, and I've been looking at that number as employers have been saying the labor markets are too tight, they're too tight. I've been looking for that number to go down. It has not gone down in a meaningful way. This is a nice dip in that number. I'd like to see that number continue to go down. The non-the-labor force and want-to-work number is very interesting because we did not see a large number of workers exiting the labor market, right? You would expect to see that number go up if a lot of workers had sort of given up. They had searched for jobs, they couldn't find jobs, and then they would end up and just say, give up, and, and then they want to work, but they're just out of the labor market because they're not looking anymore. So what that number might suggest, and I, um, I think we have to look at some other data in order to be able to know this, is that about 400,000 workers who had decided that they didn't want to work changed their minds. And now they do want to work. They want to get back in the labor market. They want to find jobs. Why would that be happening? Wages are going up. Employers are having to hunt for workers. They may be having to look at workers that they otherwise wouldn't have had to look for at, in the past looking for workers with disabilities who, whose, un, whose employment rate is far too low, working for a justice-involved individuals, workers who are maybe don't have the necessary skill set, but they can be trained in order to be able to do jobs. That is my hope about what that number indicates to us, is that workers are seeing what's happening in the labor market. It's continuing to go well, despite all the naysaying by all the economic, well, many of the economic pundits, putting aside our present company, of course, um, but a lot of folks are talking down the economy and saying how terrible it is. Workers know better. They're seeing it. And they're saying to themselves, you know what, maybe I need to start looking for a job again. Or maybe I've decided I really do want a job because the wages make it worth my while. That's what I'm hoping those two statistics of the day are going to tell us. Okay, Alicia, for our wrap-up question, let me ask you, what does this report mean for worker power in our country? So I think right now, uh, what it means is that the gains we saw in terms of worker power coming out of the pandemic, uh, as we you know rapidly reopened the economy and labor was in short supply, that really shifted the balance of power right from employers to workers. I think we're seeing that that is at least being preserved um, in the near term with you know strong uh, job growth, really strong uh, wage growth, even though it might not be keeping pace with inflation. So I think, you know, there at least hasn't been a snap back uh, to where employers are, are entirely running the show here. I think it remains to be seen, you know, how much of that worker power gets preserved 
uh, I think, you know, you mentioned um, employers saying they can't find workers with the right skills and now dipping further um, into the candidate pool to find those who have been left behind in the past. I think that's a, a great um, a great thing right now for workers, but I do worry that as soon as we see some softening, those will be the first workers, right, who are on the sidelines. I do think for all the talk about skills-based hiring and STARS and things like that, that as soon as we do get closer to an R uh, type of situation or just a, a softer labor market, that employers will again start using those shortcuts, looking for those with a college degree, so I think there's a moment right now for us to try to cement these gains that workers have made and really try to develop um, some metrics like uh, short-term certifications or apprenticeship or you know, those pieces, those building blocks that can really signal somebody does have those skills without relying on you know, this uh, college degree as a, as a very um, messy proxy for that. So, so I'm encouraged. I think we're, we're preserving working power right now, but I do think that we need to be taking some steps to cement it uh, because we know that there, there will come a time where the shoe will drop. So eventually economists will be right when they uh, have their gloomy projections. All right, Elise, Economic Policy Institute, you guys have a magnifying glass on worker power in America. Tell us what you think this report means for worker power. Well, I have to agree a lot with what um, you both have said. I think that um, right now it seems that workers still have a bit more leverage than they have had historically when the unemployment rate is low as it is and as it has been, as it remains low, um, their workers are a bit less scarce uh, or a bit more scarce, I should say. And employers might have to work a little harder to attract and retain the workers they want. And as you've mentioned, they have to look outside their networks, maybe discriminate a little less, uh, maybe not require, as you said, Alicia, a college degree, um, maybe, as I said, again, um, discriminate less. I think that is a really key thing that happens in stronger labor markets. And again, we need to shore up labor standards to lock in the gains that many lower wage workers in particular have seen. So that looks like making... Um, raising the federal minimum wage so you can lock in those gains so that when the um, when the labor market does eventually weaken, uh, those workers can keep the gains that they have made already and they don't then see that weakness again. Also making it easier for workers to form unions. That will keep their, um, increase their leverage uh, to lock in some of the gains that you can only see in a strong labor market. Uh, when the labor market weakens, uh, workers are relatively um, less scarce then, and then employers hold the cards. But I think it's also very important to remember when we look at worker power, to look at labor share of corporate sector income. And that has yet to recover. So profits are still quite high. That's uh, not, they, employers are actually not being pinched so much to be able to pay workers more and they can continue to do that um, without necessarily causing prices to rise. So that is, I think, important to remember that that uh, when we think about overall bargaining power, labor share is still depressed in the current recovery. I, I, that that last point, I think, is a very, very important one, is that you know, we've had a long-term decline in uh, union density, the percentage of workers who are in unions. There's a direct relationship between that decline and the labor share of corporate revenue, um, meaning the percentage of the money that comes into corporations that ends up going into workers' pockets as opposed to shareholders and managers' profits, uh, ma shareholders' profits and managers' pockets. Um, 
And that is the ultimate measure, right? Are workers getting more of a fair share um, as an aggregate matter? Um, one pathway to that being accomplished is workers' wages continuing to go up. And to the extent that workers' wages are a direct indicator of workers' leverage, as our friend Aaron Sojourner talks about, um, you know, one leverage measure is worker quits compared to worker uh, discharges and layoffs. Um, and it's a pretty good indicator of what happens with nominal wages. That may have been broken a little bit uh, this month. But, you know, if, if workers are able to demand more, either with voice in the workplace, which frankly really only happens for the highest skilled workers and workers who are in a union, or workers who are benefited from an increase in the minimum wage, as Lilise was saying, or um, uh, because labor markets are extremely tight, then um, uh, then you know worker power is increasing because wages are increasing and they're continuing to increase. Now, real wages are not increasing, and that or they're sort of around zero. They're floating around zero. Um, and we'd like to see that go up because that makes workers' lives go better. But the ability of workers to continue to demand wage increases, mostly from changing jobs, mostly from quitting their jobs, um, that is an indication of meaningful worker power. But uh, I think, Elise, your point is an extremely important one. Until workers on as an aggregate in the United States, looking at an aggregate measure, are able to demand a larger share of corporate revenue, the money that they produce, help to produce in their uh, workplaces with their productivity, um, well, then we really haven't gotten as far as we need to go. I think it's going to be very hard to change that percentage in a meaningful way uh, without more union density, without a significant increase in union density, and that's going to take some time. I was hopeful when we saw the union members report out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics when we saw a net increase in the number of union members in America, even though the density rate went down. That was the first increase since 2017, which is a very depressing thing to say out loud. But let's hope that that increase continues. And with the activism that we're seeing, workers around the country organizing, workers fighting hard for first contracts, repeated contracts, um, we've seen something of an increase in strike activity. I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not that number goes up. And so I'm going to bring the conversation to a close right there. But first, I want to thank today's guests, Alicia Modestino and Elise Gould. <clears throat> I also want to thank our outstanding producer, Lexi Anderson, technical producer, producer, social media star, uh, doing a great job. Before you go, subscribe to the Power at Work blog. That's our way of letting you know about the great content we have on this blog. Right now on the blog, there's a blogcast and podcast of the conversation I had with Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, about arguably one of the most important, certainly one of the largest organizing and collective bargaining successes of 2022-2023. You'll want to watch that. There's also a blogcast and podcast of the conversation I had with former Congressman Andy Levin, a friend for a million years, uh, one of the keenest observers and activists on labor issues uh, in our country. Uh, it's well worth watching, I promise. It's worth your time to take a look at those. Um, and finally, if you subscribe to the Power at Work blog, we will send you the weekly download, which is a collection of a couple of dozen of the most important, most interesting items that we found on the World Wide Web about workers, worker power, and unions. 
Uh, we have an EPI report in there in the most in the most recent report that's going to uh, the, hasn't come out yet. It's going to come out, I think, today or tomorrow. Um, and we have a lot of other terrific uh, stuff about the Writers Guild strike and about Rutgers and about a lot of the other important labor actions that are happening around the country. So subscribe, get the weekly download, take a look at the great broadcasts we have on there. So let me thank you for watching us today. And we look forward to seeing you on the blog again very soon.